When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Shocking, Lurid, Tawdry, A History of American Scandals. I'm your host, Mark Pikert. And I'm your co-host, Casey Howe. And today we're going deep into the annals of American scandals to talk about the people who were once memorable, flared brightly in the night sky, only to be burned out and mostly forgotten until we unearthed them as America's favorite grave diggers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's exactly uh, what we do every week. That, without that was all improvised. <laughs> But I think that we got there. I think we did. Uh, I think we Casey, did. Casey, I, first of all, Casey and I, uh, Casey and I are the kind of friends who talk like every six months, <laughs> typically. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's about right. With, with it, a text exchange now and again, a humorous yeah, but we usually see each other, once we stopped working together, it was about like four to six months. Yeah. Uh, and even when we started doing this podcast, we really only spoke once a week when we recorded. <laughs> it's true. That being said, uh, you and I have been texting every day for the last <laughs> week because we're truly in the platinum age of television. Oh, so true. So and true. And we cannot shut the fuck up about what we're watching. <laughs> That's so true. And, and Mark and I don't like, we have different, for example, when we do our scandals, he focuses on the Hollywood side. I'm more of a political side. We have different interests now and again, but boy, do we have the same taste in television. <laughs> we sure do Casey. For instance, we both sat down and just watched all five episodes of Halston yep, last Friday sure did. night. Why not? I was like, yeah, all right. Tonight's the night for this check. Sure did. Uh, we're both just watching everything as soon as it premieres. Yeah, apparently. Apparently we're in it from day one. Um, things like, is... and, and we don't really care about what the critics say. <laughs> oh no, because we are both still watching The Mosquito Coast, a show that I hate. <laughs> Can't stop watching it though. Nope. Well, once you saw Melissa George uh, terrify that old woman... I know. I was like, ooh, that's the way to my heart. Thank you for that. Yes. But then oh, come on. Ugh, I can't even do the last spoiler because the way that that ended, I was like, oh, come on. That's what makes it so, so trashy. It reminds me of my other favorite trash show, which is Yellowstone. Love that show. Oh my love, God. You got love, on that. You got on the A&E award season I bandwagon so sure hard. Did. You probably watched Vikings, too. No, that one I didn't. 
but I for sure got into Yellowstone. It hooked me from day one. It is my Real Housewives, and I'm not afraid to say it. I don't watch Real Housewives. I don't watch reality. So this is my drama, and just the end of every episode is, oh, no. It's a real old-fashioned television drama where everybody's fighting in every episode, and each episode ends with a cliffhanger, but they're going to make you wait a week for no reason. You know, I can get behind that. That's basically Mayor of Easttown right now. Oh, that's true. Fair point. Fair point. They're, they're using the same tactic. It's classic HBO, which I love. So I love, I love Mayor of Easttown because every episode I root for someone to get murdered. Not because I dislike <laughs> anyone, but I just really wanted them to up the stakes a little bit. And they didn't murder that boy. They, he didn't oh, murder his baby. And then I finally got a murder. And I was like, oh, yes. Let's see them crawl out of this plot hole. <laughs> and I can't wait. Uh, can't who wait. knows when this episode is going to air, by the way. So guys, you probably already watched Kate Winslet <laughs> win an Emmy for Mayor of Easttown. Deservedly so. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, but yes, well, we like to work ahead. Lots of television. We do. We do. We're not really the procrastinator type. It's not, it's not on brand for us. We tend to get things done just... as soon as they're assigned. Uh, well, sure, but I also uh, decided upon my scandal last night after we'd already scheduled. Well, uh, I did my just scandal. redo my notes 20 minutes ago, so, you know. Well, <laughs> you know what, but uh, it doesn't matter that I uh, barely know my own scandal and read an entire book about it last night about eating schlotzkis <laughs> and watching The Skeleton Key on Hulu, uh, because it's not Ooh, my day. Put it on my list. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, I love The Skeleton Key. Oh. <sighs> Okay, okay. Kate there Hudson and Voodoo Louisiana with Gina Rollins as maybe a bad person, a red brick what? dust. And I don't believe, I don't believe. Oh, and then there's a real Making twist. a note. Making mm -hmm. a note, I'm writing it down right now. Uh, but Casey, this is your yes. scandal day. <laughs> also, I she think literally just wrote down the skeleton I, key. Casey, I, I will not <laughs> let you forget to watch it, don't worry. I don't, my phone is literally six inches from the post-it and pen I just grabbed to write this down, but for some reason, didn't go for the phone. Not sure why. Oh, As I said okay. earlier, I'm old. Here we go. Okay. Um, no, I already found a typo. Excellent. Cool. Cool. Um, okay, Again, Mark. this is audio. Are you ready? I am ready. What is it? What's today's scandal? Okay, today we are going to talk about Joseph R. McCarthy. <gasps> oh! Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I've been floating this one to a lot of people and they're like, what do you mean? Why is that scandalous? And I was like, mm, no, nothing, uh nothing. Okay, well, and I, I basically said, and we'll talk more about this at the end, I've concluded, not to spoiler alert, but I've concluded that essentially we might as a society have like a 60 year cap on memory and then we just forget <laughs> it and we just start over. So I'm going to test that out as we move through this podcast and see if that theory holds. Uh, I think so. I mean, look, we can barely remember everyone could only talk about Watergate during the Trump era. 
So true. And um, by the way, I just want everyone listening um, and everyone in the world to please stop using the gate at, at the end of every scandal. <gasps> oh. Please come up with something else. It doesn't need to have a gate. Let it go. Let it go. Watergate was only Watergate because it was the name of the building, not like a clever pun. So come on, people. Come on. You can do better. You can do better. I mean, should we name this episode uh, anything but gate scandal? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> remember you that. Know? Put a pin in that one. <laughs> the only I won't remember it because as soon as we say it, we forget it. Write down. Write down. And write down. We don't. We don't listen to it again until. I can't it's remember aired. what you said now. Okay. Uh, the only gate scandal I'm interested in is Bill Gates' relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. That's true. Mm -hmm. Well, let's put a pen in that one. We're going to need to dig on that. I'm obsessed with, well, he was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein, who was very adamant that Bill needed to get out of his toxic relationship with Melinda. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein is giving advice on toxic relationships? <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Ugh. Well, All I right. look forward to well, that episode. You know what? I'm ready to talk about Joseph okay. McCarthy. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. So born in 1908 in rural Wisconsin, off to a great start. Um, he was one of five sons to farmers. He seemed to blossom a bit early and always wanted to be a person um, to wanted to be like the person that people knew, right? Like the, the kid that people knew in town and everything. Um, he wanted to make a name for himself right off the bat. So um, after dropping out of actually a junior high to help run the farm. And then he also started a like chicken farming business that was really apparently quite successful. Um, and he like got in the local papers and everybody knew him as like the chicken farm guy. And um, until one day he goes out to um, the hen house and all the chickens are dead from this like mysterious virus and he, uses, he loses the entire flock. So he's essentially ruined all in one day so he decides all right well I guess back to school I go so now he's 20 and he goes back he has to graduate high school so apparently he graduates high school in a year um, and he put himself through college and law school doing odd jobs and apparently playing poker like he was a really good poker player so he got his tuition from playing poker um once he graduated from law school, his practice was a bit of a flop because it was 1935, which was the depression. So people couldn't really afford lawyers so much. I'm sure they had other means to uh, settle their disputes, but uh, so he couldn't, he couldn't get, uh, get much work. So he decides, all right, no worries. I'm going to still make it. I'm going to run for office. So he's a lawyer. So he runs for a judgeship um, as a Democrat in Wisconsin, like a local, local uh, judge, and he gets elected. So um, there are some stories about him as a judge that he would sort of cut corners that he, somebody would come in and say, like, here's my, here's my case, here's my case. And they'd be like, guilty, off you go. And then um, some say that he was just swift. Uh, he, was, he would deliver a swift justice. So, you know, anyway. Um, my point is, I don't think he was really like in it for the job or the, you know, helping people thing. He really just wanted to make his way out. 
Um, Not since the lovely and talented Amy Coney Barrett <laughs> have I heard of such a meteoric rise. Oh, pretty much. Um, so, so he's a judge in Wisconsin. Um, he actually ended up joining the Marines when he entered, or when we entered World War II, and he served in the Pacific. There are also mixed accounts about his um, service and if he ever saw any action. Um, he was officially assigned to a desk job. Some records say, and I say some records say because they're one of his historians said, look, I digged around these old archives. Nobody knew about them for years. And, you know, there are some reports that he did see some action. Um, but there are also like other service members who said, no, he never saw any action. He would beg pilots to take him up uh, in their plane so that he could just fire the rear gunner for fun. And just, uh, which is also something that Roy Cohen used to beg pilots to do as well, but in a very <laughs> different context. <laughs> he comes up later. Um, <laughs> So he, uh, so anyway, so there are mixed accounts there. He does um, claim that he was injured in the war, but again, reports sort of, um, he nicknames himself. So when he comes out, he nicknames himself Tail Gunner Joe and says that he was injured, right? Um, the military records actually reflect that he just fell off a ladder while he was in the service and that's how he got injured. That counts that he was in the service. He would not have been on that ladder were he not in service. That's a good point. That's a good point. I guess, mm -hmm. I guess his, the problem was, is I think he, he claimed that he was um, injured in action, right? That's not necessarily, although maybe well, painting I mean, is action oriented. So the, maybe he was painting a patriotic mural to inspire fervor. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, the bigger problem hidden... is you can't give yourself a nickname. That's not how it yeah. work. Definitely did. Definitely did. Um, but either way, so he did serve and he did volunteer, um, which he didn't have to do because judges were exempt. So he did volunteer. So good for him. Um, one of his historians say that the volunteership was the only de decent thing he ever did. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so when he gets back, he actually flips to the Republican Party and he runs for the Senate in 1946 and he wins. So now he's the junior senator from Wisconsin. And he goes to Washington, um, and he's you know serving as a sen as a junior senator, but he doesn't really like that role or that title. Like Joe thinks that he should be, you know, the most important senator, and everyone should know him. And so he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, his first few years are spent attending din dinner parties and giving these low level speeches. Um, he gets known for hanging around lobbyists and pl playing pokers and accepting uh, their loans, air quotes, around loans when need be. Um, so when Pepsi-Cola is looking for uh, someone to tow their line as far as a government sugar shortage is concerned, Joe's their guy. Uh -huh. um, McCarthy thinks, oh, this is sure to get headlines. Okay, I'll do it. So in his first attempt to draw attention to himself, he gets up on the Senate floor in 1949 and gives this big speech about a sugar shortage, saying um, that there actually isn't one and the government's just lying to you. There's plenty of sugar. They're just withholding it from the American people. The other senators say, no, 
No, Joe, according to the agriculture secretary, there's not plenty of sugar. There's definitely a shortage. And what are you talking about? So they look into it and they find that Joe has taken a $200,000 quote unquote loan from Pepsi Cola to give the speech. After that, the senators are like, okay, you're done. They basically just strip him of all his power and committee positions and say, go sit over here. You're done. Um, but that, remember, yeah. All Franken stepped down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool, cool. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, fun. 60 years. Also, okay. every, t- every time you say sugar shortage, I imagine Holly Hunter <laughs> talking about this. Thank God that's over then. Okay. But I love Holly Hunter, so that's good. You've got a real sugar shortage here. Uh, The U.S. government is lying to you. There's plenty of sugar. (laughs) I love it. Sugar shortage. (laughs) Oh, um, So Joe is essentially, now this is uh, 1949. Uh, Joe is essentially in a corner in the Senate, can't do much. Um, And he's got a little bit of a problem because he's got to run again in 1952. So he can't really spend the rest of his Senate career doing nothing and expect to get reelected. So no, no, the people don't, they don't appreciate that. Even if you are the junior Senator. Ooh, burn. Um, So Joe's, Joe essentially starts, uh, starts fuming and he gets, he's getting pissed and he's, He's thinking he should be more and they're just being mean to him and um, he should really, you know, have more control. Mind you, the Republican Party is not in power. Truman's in office at this point. So the Democrats have power in uh, the Senate and the House and I believe the White House all at the same time. So he doesn't have much power in general, but also among Republicans, he's not, not so popular anymore. They don't necessarily love that he's trying to uh, use their... <laughs> use their party to straight up lie. Um, Okay, so on uh, Lincoln Day in 1950, which is a big deal for the Republicans because Lincoln was the first Republican president, mind you. Love, they love to call that out. They love a deal on mattresses. (laughs) For for a man who didn't sleep all that often, it's a funny tie-in, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. So on Lincoln Day in 1950, uh, the Republican Party sent him to Wheeling, West Virginia to give a speech to a Republican women's group. And Joe did not did not care for that. He bitched about it the whole way. His aides were like, oh, God, he will not shut up about this. He complained that he should be in Madison. And his aides had to remind him, well, sir, the senior senator is in Madison. So we've got that one covered. And he's just fuming and he's about to go on stage and he turns to his aide and he says, no, I've changed my mind. Give me that other speech. And his aide go, please, sir, please don't, please don't do that. Give, give the one we have planned. That's a good one. And um, the other one still needs some work. And he just goes, Ugh. and he grabs it and he goes on stage. So he gets up, uh, he grabs the second speech to be clear. Um, so he, he gets up. He charms the crowd a little bit. There's video of him saying, uh, 
it's finally great to get out of Washington and uh, come back to America. So he's in the West Virginia. Ha 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 ha. Oh, that swamp. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, you know, he's like, oh, everybody's on, on a side. He was a great speaker. People loved him. He was quite charming, apparently. Um, and he says, uh, out of nowhere, he says, there are 205 known communists in the State Department. And reporters just sort of look up at him and the room is silent. And he holds up his speech papers, just random papers and says, see, I've got the names right here and starts waving them. And the reporters go, oh God, and start writing, just furiously writing. And he thought, I got him. And it all starts there. It is so fucking insane how arbitrary, how arbitrarily history is fucking set in motion. One speech in Wheeling, West Virginia to random, yeah, random people. And he just decides that's it. I'm getting my- And then everybody scurries to make it true. Yeah. So, okay. So just sort of to set the scene. So um, what's going on? Like, why do we, why why is that so explosive? So um, what was happening is during the depression, uh, Americans- start to sort of say, okay, maybe Marxism and communism isn't so bad. We need jobs, we need things in the government, we need food and the government's not providing. But under communist organizations and communist countries, the the government provides for all of that, right? So they're like, well, maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. Let's check some things out. So people start forming little clubs and like local groups to just learn more about what communism is and all of this different stuff. But and after, also yeah. there was a real there was a real push not to socialism but towards socialism with the WPA and yeah. uh, the, the FDR's New Deal. New Deal. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely in the air and there was a big, big rise in unions. Yep. 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 And so, yeah, exactly. Organized labor, that was all becoming a thing. And so it looked like it was a big shift to socialism, but it was really more of an equaling out of a very, very corrupt system we had, as has been discussed, in, um, in the 1920s that really led to a lot of, and led to the Depression. So, And yeah. there, was a real, uh, there was a real rush to move to urban centers, Mm-hmm. during the 30s as well which meant that there were just more people in a smaller space for meetings yeah who had just Good escaped point. from the poverty of individualism running your own yeah. damn farm and were willing to uh sorry the hoac yes. hearings were my go-to research project through high school and college oh, fun ah there we go. Those come up later. Well, I'm just about to talk about this. So, so that was, that happens. So this is sort of, this is like how um, communism got to America, if you will, like whatever, yes. spread of ideas. So um, then after the, the World War II, um, the Soviets em- emerges a major superpower, which really isn't the plan for a post-World War II as far as war concerned. Um, they also develop a nuclear weapon in the late 40s. And then what sort of happens is, I, I don't even know if this was the term at the time, but we definitely used it later. Um, but there's a bit of a one and then the other effect where um, China adopts communism under Mao. 
uh, North Korea invades South Korea by 1950. There's a lot of stuff that's like communism is taking over the world, right? It's very scary. And, and what will the world look like if, if you know, we fall to communism? So it's a lot of just kind of definitely fear mongering, but also genuine fear that, you know, the Soviets are becoming very powerful and are they the next Hitler, right? Are they just going to come for us next? So there is genuine fear. And in 1938, um, as Mark mentioned, HUAC happened. So the House Un-American Activities Committee, I believe that's the correct. Is that correct, Mark? Yes. That is the correct acronym. Thank you. It changes later. Um, so it's formed and they hold hearings to root out subversives, but they actually go out, go after, at the time, um, fascist and communists. So they're sort of saying anybody who might be an enemy um, during this wartime period, that's what we're looking for. Um, by 1947, they've had the Hollywood hearings, which basically just ruined countless lives. Um, and then, yeah, basically. Um, and then Truman also set up these loyalty boards, which were for, for government officials. They were sort of one of the early forms of background checks. It was like, if you wanted to be a government official, you had to essentially tell them every member, like every group you've ever been a part of, and they would check it out. And, um, and then that it basically, like I said, just ruined a bunch of lives. They did find some quote unquote spies within the government, namely Alger Hiss and the Rosenbergs. Um, but it was largely just absolute, like I said, uh, chaos and, and unproven hearsay. There are fun appearances by uh, one Mr. Richard Milhouse Nixon in those hearings. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. When he How was still Teflon. That? Yes, that's right. Oh, he looks so young and shiny in those videos. He's like so precious. Ugh. And then he went off and then it was after the H2AC hearings that he had his years in the wilderness, right? I think so. Yeah, that checks like out. Because well, then by then he disappeared yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he's a strange character. Anyway. Um, okay, but one fun fact as it relates to um, this story is that um, Joseph McCarthy had absolutely nothing to do with the HUAC hearings um, because he was a senator and those were House hearings. So literally nothing to do with them. Nothing, 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 nothing. But he is one to capitalize on something and he did see how much press they were getting. So he was like, huh, maybe I'll just do that. Well, yeah, that looks good. Um, his speech in, in Wheeling also took much of like Nixon's prosecution of some of these witnesses and just rolled up the language in it. So he just stole it from him. Why not? Why, why remake the wheel when you can just role model Nixon? You know. Uh, that's what uh, Henry Kissinger has always said. <laughs> As he remains in a seat of advising to, uh, you know, Every president, oh, unofficially. Gosh. Unofficially, that guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nobel um, winner. No. <laughs> Why not? Oh, killer of thousands. Maybe, maybe, probably hundreds of thousands. Anyway, um, okay. So um, back to the 1950s. So he gets up and makes a speech. It's explosive. Um, 
so the reporters and the senators essentially say, okay, great. You have 205 names. That's awfully specific. Why don't you tell us, like, show us. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trust me guys. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Like in due time. And, um, and then the following week, he sort of changes that number. And he's like, oh, it's not, I mean, two, 205 suspected, but I know there's like a hundred and whatever. And, um, and they were like, oh, okay, okay, sure, sure. That, that makes sense. And then the following week, he's like, oh, well, you know, I, there's like 54, 56, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find him. We'll find him. So he just keeps changing his story. Meanwhile, produces absolutely no evidence. Um, the Senate does sort of look into this. They're like, oh, let's see if we can find what we can find. Um, a different senator sort of holds his own hearings and says, okay, let me look into this. <clears throat> McCarthy, give me what you have. And he's like, I, you know, I can't do that. I'm, I'm working, you know, with different sources and, and, uh, you know, you, you check it out and see, but I, I tell you, I'm, I know. Um, and at this point, again, as a reminder, you don't want to look weak on communism so you don't want to be like he's he's straight up lying there are no communists in government because what if one day someone comes forward and says something and then it's like well you were so um and also people love it like he's giving these speeches and the public is eating it up they're just like yeah get him you know and so it's like how else they, they start explaining things away. Like how else would the, would the Soviets have a nuclear bomb if we didn't give the secrets away? And how else would, yeah. So there's a lot of fear mongering as we like to say. Huh. Hmm. It's almost like communism was the fifties version of racism. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Um, huh. Let's see, 60 years, pick a new one, pick a new as, one. Uh, as someone said, while leaving a revival of Arthur Miller's The Crucible on Broadway, this really reminds me of the HUAC hearings. <laughs> yep, that's, that was intentional, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. It was, maybe a metaphor, as they say. <laughs> um... Just to give you a sense, so 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 he um, so McCarthy gets put in front or put like give, they give him they're like okay fine, do your investigation, you know check out what you can check out. So um, I think did I put just making sure I did this in the right order? Um, yeah. So to give you a scale, um, in fifteen months. He ends up holding 138 hearings. And by 1953, he's accused over 600 people. Now, remember, as a member of the Senate, you have subpoena power. So these people have to go. Like, you have to go or you'll be held in contempt. So, and it's on public record for the most part. So most of these hearings were behind closed doors because he had no evidence. So... Yeah, so, um, you know, people in the, and he went out after mostly government officials at this time, because he said they were in the State Department, right? 
So um, he's kind of pulling everybody they can find in, like anyone that's left-leaning. He's like, you, come with me. Um, so he's holding these hearings behind closed doors. People in the government are now terrified um, because essentially, too, if you got accused, it was similar to like the Hollywood hearings where if you got accused, they were like, thank you, your service here is over. Like they, they would, they'd leave him. They'd like fire you. Um, so low level staffers were absolutely terrified and really everybody, like no one was off limits for him. He calls in, in the early 1950s, mind you, world war two has ended in 1945. They're still rebuilding Europe, obviously. And he calls in general Marshall as in the Marshall plan, as in, <laughs> as in a top, the top, like Supreme commander of the U S army during world war two, like nobody's off limits. No. And he's like George Marshall, what is four-star general or whatever he, he was, you are, you're a communist and you need to come clean. And everybody's like, oh my God, what are you doing? So as you can imagine, this is literally terrifying people in Washington and nobody's really calling him on it because- No, Eisenhower's just like, oh, well, ugh. He'll work yeah. it out. It's a well, he's not even, we haven't even gotten to him yet. He did it. Um, so, and by 19, so everybody has to get, well, not everybody, but there's a handful of senators and, you know, um, House House Republicans and things that need to get uh, reelected in 1952. So they all end up having to get behind McCarthy because again, he's wildly popular with the public. So the constituents are like, yeah, get those communists, you know, get after them. You have to be, you know, strong on communism. So the Republican Party literally has to follow Tweedledum down this rabbit hole. Like, they're like, fine. And so they all kind of, they don't, the Republicans at this point are, they're like, okay, this is going to get us elected. Let's like, let, let's just go for it. Like, he's going to find somebody. He's going to find a communist. I just know it. So like, let's okay, keep on keeping on. Um, and the only one that stands up to him, classic, is uh, Margaret Chase Smith, which is the only female Republican. Um, she writes a resolution. There are six Repu Republicans that initially sign it with her, and then they all slowly back away. And she gives a uh, speech on the Senate floor and says, you can't stand for this. She never uses McCarthy's name. She chose not to um, for whatever. And, um, but yeah, she's the only one and she never stops. And I think she loses her Senate seat for it. Uh, yeah. Yes. And guess who Classic. we don't talk about anymore? The woman who stood up against McCarthy. <laughs> that's good the night thing. and good motherfucking luck. Yep. That's basically what everyone was saying. It's like, and she's if she comes up in conversation, she's known for that, but then quickly on to the next thing. Yeah. Yep. So um, fun fact, just wanted to toss this one in here. The term McCarthyism was actually coined in 1950 by the uh, cartoonist Herb Locke, which was um, a cartoonist, I believe for the New Yorker. And he, um, uh -huh. he coined it in himself in one of his cartoons. So that's where we get the term McCarthyism. 
Well, I thought for sure that old Joe had given it to himself. He loves to bestow <laughs> on himself nicknames. Well, can you imagine when when this cartoon comes out and then everybody starts referring referring to it as McCarthyism? I mean, he must have just eaten oh that up. It's all he ever wanted. He could have, he would have stopped there. I know if he had only stopped there. No. Um, okay, so he's riding high. He just got reelected. Republicans now, I believe, took control at the time of the Senate. Um, but it starts to go downhill. So in 1953, um, Dwight Eisenhower runs for uh, the Republican nomination. Truman says that he's not going to run again. So um, they find this other candidate, Adlai Stevenson. He's, um, McCarthy goes after him for having ties to communism, um, that he's like buddy-buddy with Alger Hiss and tries to link all these um, connections, whatever. He does his part on the campaign, let's put it that way. Um, but Eisenhower campaigns around. Eisenhower absolutely hates McCarthy. He has not forgiven him for hauling in Marshall but he decides he's gonna play nice on the campaign. He later says that that's one of the biggest mistakes he's ever made in his life. And he too was one of the commander of lots of uh, army forces. So to say that's the only mistake you've made is really saying something. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, Ike wins in 1953. Um, and now the Republicans run um, the House, the Senate, and the White House. So they're the quote unquote ruling party and everyone thinks, okay, all right. Now, now the Republicans have control. McCarthy will tone it down, lock it up. He'll back off a little bit. No, we, control, we control committee assignments. We can essentially just give them this like random committee and he'll just go away because now the Republicans have control over the government and you don't wanna say that your government is full of communists if your party is in control of the government, right? Yeah, that, that checks yep. out. Nope. nope, 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 not for Joe. Joe, Joe, Joe got a taste for power and, and he thought it was the best ice cream he's ever had. So the Republicans do find a committee assignment for him um, that supposedly is going to keep him out of the spotlight, but McCarthy finds a loophole in a subcommittee of that committee that lets him oversee government affairs and operations. So they didn't do all the homework on that one. <laughs> Can you imagine just Whoops. being that desperate? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So... At this point, now that he has control of that committee and again, can, can subpoena people and essentially the committee, the committee and committee hearings gives you a forum, right? It gives you a forum for press and a forum for essentially you can hold these hearings, you can hold public, you know, um, not just press conferences and stuff, but it, it gives you a platform, right? You're not just, it's not just getting up and giving speeches on the Senate floor. It's, it's sort of more. So that's essentially what he does. And he comes out and he says, you know, we're gonna keep rooting out the communists in the government. And I, I want all of the uh, government employees to do your duty 
and, you know, check out all your coworkers files and make sure that every, you know, nothing's fishy. And if anything is fishy, fishy, I want you to report it to me. Don't take it to your superior, just send it to my office. Um, PSA, that's illegal. Don't do that. Yeah. Illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Was illegal then and is illegal now. So he gets up and formally publicly requests government workers to not only spy, but also steal confidential files and send them to him. People aren't so happy about that. They're, no, no. They're like, oh dear, okay. But he's, um, he's riding pretty high. He hires, guest appearance, uh, Roy Cohn, Yay. who's a lawyer. Yay! Roy Cohn and the um, wonderfully unqualified but rich hotelier, David Shine. Mm. They go gallivanting around. Um, they start on this accusation spree. And I say then, really them. It was really Roy Cohn and um, McCarthy. David Shine was just there for the money and the pretty face. That's all, he's, that's all yeah. he did. Yeah. He was a pretty face and he would put him up in hotel rooms. So, you know, let's keep him around. They actually held lots of these, the second round of, of hearings in New York and not Washington because Cohn liked to stay in the hotel that Shine's family owned. He was more comfortable there. So, you know, you just don't, you don't hold hearings in Washington, apparently, if you don't want to. Cool. Well, and it made it a lot easier on everyone to testify as well. So true. So this true. is pre-shuttle. <laughs> no, no, aunt, well, there was no Acela, so. No. No. I don't know what they did. Terrible. Um, so, so they're just pulling in more people. Um, and the Republicans, he put on the committee and everybody, Mark, uh, oh wait, sorry, that was, um, hang on. I clearly did not delete that part. Okay, okay, sorry, I didn't, I didn't delete it. <laughs> I copied and pasted and put that fun fact um, somewhere else and then I didn't. It's, it's like uh, we're doing this live because we're not gonna edit any of this out. <laughs> nope. Um, Okay, so at this point, they go on this crazy accusation spree. Um, and now they start broadening their purview to just not federal government employees. They start go going after some um, federal employee adjacent people because they've essentially run out of people to accuse. Oh, and yeah. oh, yeah. So they go after um, things like Voice, uh, Voice of America. They go after, um, they pull in authors and college professors and random um, diplomats and things like that. Um, and it's similar to uh, the House on Americans Activity Committee. Um, if you plead the fifth in these hearings, you're sort of perceived to be guilty. So, yeah. um, and he's gonna berate you as a communist if you do. So just because it's not like a trial, like McCarthy can yell at you from um, his dais. Is that what those things are called? From his dais yeah. until he's satisfied. So, Or really his pulpit. Oh, pulpit. That's true. So true. Um, so they're not pleasant. It's very um, belligerent and not 
not a good situation. So he keeps going. Um, Cone and Shine, even at this time, go on what reporters and uh, and European officials at the time call a literal book burning tour through Europe. So they go to all these different capitals and and uh, official buildings all through Europe, and they're like, "What's in your library? You can't have that." <laughs> and people are like, "That's a little. It's not great. It's a little Hitlery." Don't love that. We just did this, guys. <laughs> yeah, it just it wasn't a cute, it wasn't a cute look. But people are like, "Ugh, you know Joe and his team. They just really hate communists." So, ugh. anyway, must be for the best. Um, oh. I know. So then. Later in 1953, everyone is feeling real good about themselves and they make what is the fatal mistake. Um, McCarthy is desperate to find someone. Mind you, they've still not found one actual communist or someone with a tie to the Soviets yet. No. Not in all the time. They're still, still going strong. They're three years in. Literally nothing. Zero. Nothing. It takes time. So true. I mean, it's a numbers game. Just keep bringing in people, right? You know, if communists were that smart, they'd be richer. <laughs> but they're so good at disguising themselves in the government, uh, you think they'd like be smart enough to make a shit ton of money too. Ugh, you'd think. I mean, you'd think, but yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, so, so he's desperate. So he, um, so Cohn uh, digs up this, um, this, I, I don't know, it's, it's, he's a dentist, but everyone always says he's a Jewish dentist. So oh. um, yeah, I was like, okay, well, I, I guess that. Sure. I sure. I guess they're just saying that they also were targeting a lot of these, like look for the for the communist thing definitely targeted a lot of Jewish people as well for sure for yeah. sure yeah um so um so Cohen uh digs up this dentist who is a dentist in the army and was years and years and years ago loosely affiliated with like a dentist group that was supposedly part of a communist organization <laughs> yeah no I mean it was like your class. local dentist group is yeah um, and he was, he ended up being, once they found this out, they're like, okay, like we should probably, this might not be great. So they honorably discharged him. So Cohen finds this guy, he brings him to uh, McCarthy and he's like, this is our guy. And, uh, and McCarthy goes, yeah. And I want to bring the general up who honorably discharged a known communist. That's what we're going to do. We're going after the army. Now, again, as a reminder, General Dwight D. Eisenhower is the president. He's the former general of the army and supreme commander of the allied forces. Don't think he's going to love this. I just don't. You might be what? a senator that's all powerful, but he is literally the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> but he's been fine with everything thus far. That's true. I'm sure he'll just sit by. This is, this will be yeah. fine too. Just keep on, keep on keeping on. Um, 
And by this time, there are also just rumblings amongst some Republicans that they're just like, God, this guy just will not let up. And it's really not a good look for him to keep, you know, uh, accusing the Republican government of having all these spies. So they're, they're starting to get to the end of their rope. Like Mr. Ken Starr. (laughs) Has he reached the end of his rope? Has he? an awfully long rope um mm-hmm. so uh so anyway so they bring they bring the dentist in he immediately pleads the fifth um they say we're going after this general they bring the general in and they're like hey army and base general of wherever this these guys were stationed um we want the files like we want the files on the dentist and what you guys knew about him and this general and how this decision was made to honor honorably discharge this guy. And uh, the army says, Oh, really sorry, but all those files, anything having to do with the loyalty programs of army officials and military officials. Oh, I'm sorry. um, Those are uh, protected under executive privilege so Eisenhower says, we can't release those. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> and the general says, I really can't speak to that because that is protected under gen- uh, executive privilege. Sorry. <laughs> Ugh, darn it. And McCarthy is pissed. And he's mm. like, I'm sorry, what? And he, um, so, so he's trying to get this, uh, this information um, meanwhile, as Cohn's digging around in the army, the army's not dumb, <laughs> obviously. And they go, okay, well, what do we got? What do we got on, on these guys, right? And uh, turns out they start calling around to different bases and different generals. And, and uh, one guy goes, actually, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, Roy Cohn. Yeah, you know, he's been calling me a lot. And they're like, why is he calling you? And he goes, well, he's got this buddy that just got drafted, David Shine. He keeps calling me, asking for favors, like get him out of mess duty and he needs to be in private quarters and he should be promoted. And uh, he keeps saying that McCarthy, you know, he he wants him to do do this favor. And, and uh, I've even gotten some correspondences from McCarthy and things like that. And they're like, do you have records? He goes, oh yeah, I recorded everything. <laughs> and that's where Nixon learned it. <laughs> so true. So the army turns it, you know, says, here you go. Uh, they obviously go to Eisenhower and they're like, by the way, and Eisenhower's like, all right, cool, great. We got something, you know, let me give McCarthy the option of, stopping this whole thing, closing everything down, we'll call it a day. And I won't release this. And he leaped at it. (laughs) He took it. (laughs) And he said, oh, thank you so much, President Eisenhower. I won't have another hearing. End of story. He did not. He did not. No, he did not. No. Um, As the poker player that he is, McCarthy said, ha, all in. Um, so, so he doesn't, um, he says, no, I'm going to continue going in, in, 
And uh, Eisenhower says, okay, if you do that, I'm going to release this information and it's going to look like you're trying to blackmail the army. Like, you know that, right? And he's like, I don't think so. Everyone knows I'm just looking for communists. I think we're good here. Don't worry about it. And, um, and then everybody starts to turn on him. So um, in April of 1954, um, broadcaster Edward R. Murrow, who is the most beloved man in America at this point, um, lets loose on McCarthy in one of his broadcasts one night. He accuses him of, of persecution. He equates him without by name to Hitler and all of these terrible um, demagogues. And um, it's said that after that broadcast, Murrow went to Sardis for dinner and got a standing ovation. <laughs> so the public sentiment had certainly changed. Um, at the same time, Ike releases all of the documents about the army. Um, and uh, it does definitely appear that McCarthy and Cohen are trying to blackmail the army because there are quotes in the dialogue that says, if you don't help my friend, I'm going to haul all of you in front of his committee. And yes. mm -hmm. they're definitely- Pretty clear cut. Yeah, pretty clear cut. And there's also um, uh, Cohen, there are also like direct requests from McCarthy. So it wasn't like he was like, I don't know, that guy just said it, not my fault. He was like, no, <laughs> you, you knew, you knew. And um, so, so essentially the Senate goes, enough is enough. And they hold a trial and that's army versus McCarthy. So um, we're almost done guys. I know this is very long, but um, <laughs> it's like in an eight part series. Um, so we're not so going now, a long worth. We can talk <laughs> at a normal speed. Um, so he essentially, um, so he essentially now becomes the person being accused, right? And McCarthy in that role does not come off great. He's a great like bullier, but not a great, like it doesn't look cute when like you're being accused of things and you just yell at people, it's not great. So he doesn't come off great. Um, he's also quite a drinker. So by the afternoon mm -hmm. sessions, it's getting pretty sloppy. Um, he does have Cone there and Cone is like constantly begging him to just keep his mouth shut. Like, let me be your lawyer and you just be the defendant in this and keep your mouth shut. And McCarthy just can't help himself. He like can't. So every time something is, and it's not um, just for listeners, it's not um, as, well, these hearing, our hearings today aren't that civil either, but it's not like a, there's a judge that says like, decorum and order like people are constantly interrupting themselves like if you say something negative about McCarthy he's just going to start yelling at you so it's not pretty um he also um presents two pieces of falsified evidence at the trial oh. oops one is a doctored photo um of I believe it's of Adelaide Stevenson with Alger Hiss and they're like see how buddy how buddy buddy they are like I was I was right about him. Like there are people in the government um, or somebody else and, and, and like a, one of the known people. And um, the prosecution goes, okay, well that's been cropped. And here's the original. Cause he's with like an army general. So they have the real picture. 
they're like, you just cut that off. Here's the original. And they're like eight other people in the photo and no one seems to be like buddy, buddy with this guy. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so then he's like, well, I have this letter from FBI director Hoover telling me that there are 18 people in the army that are, that are communists. And they were like, he goes, see, see, I have it. And again, the prosecution was like, yeah, um, I spoke with um, Hoover this morning and he said he never wrote that letter and he doesn't know what you're <laughs> talking about. So um, plus it doesn't really check out because there were like things wrong with it. It was clearly a forgery. And, um, but the most famous exchange comes from uh, McCarthy and the army's outside counsel, Joseph Welch on the 30th day of the trial. Um, which was in June of 1954, um, McCarthy gets super flustered and mad and he breaks an agreement about not bringing up a young lawyer in the um, in Welch's law firm who was not on the case, who years ago was part of this like local lawyer group, which was loosely affiliated with the Communist Party. Um, uh, this this exchange of like McCarthy not bringing up this guy is number one, it had no relevance. He was not on the case. Um, and the agreement was fine. You don't bring him up and we won't bring up the fact that Cohen um, apparently was a draft dodger. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. yeah, because that's also not relevant to the proceedings. So we'll just leave both of them out. Um, in the video, when McCarthy starts launching in about this lawyer, Cohen's, Cohen's face is hysterical because he's just like oh god and he just like <laughs> slinks down in his chair and like does not put his hand over his face but it is one of those like dr fauci moments where you're like oh god here i go like he just <laughs> he's like oh jesus like that's it so um so mccarthy is just literally badgering this poor lawyer who's not even there and welch finally finally says can you please not, can you please stop slandering this man? Have you no decency, sir? Have you no decency? And the chamber erupts in applause. And that's really kind of the defining moment, fun fact of the Army versus McCar McCarthy trial hearing. I didn't realize that was the context of have you no decency. Yeah, that's where it came from. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the lawyer, and, and uh, apparently the story goes, which is great, that he said it and, um, and Welch like, like wiped a tear from his eye. And so it really, like he nailed it. And the, this quote, this, the quote go, or the story goes rather that, that everybody sort of gets up and leaves the chamber. That's the end, end for today. And they're like, that's it. We're gonna close it there. And they go into their, um, their office or their back room with his other counselors. Um, and, uh, and they were like, sir, I'm so sorry. And he goes, how'd I do? Did I nail it? And he knew he was just waiting. He said, supposedly he was just waiting all day to land that line. Yeah. And I was like, that's so great. So great. Um, so, so, okay. So the trial concludes, there were no formal pen penalties. Um, McCarthy can cannot shut up though. Like he just won't stop. So they end up, um, uh, censuring him in the Senate. He was the first senator to ever be censured. Um, the Democrats all vote yes for his censure. Republicans are half and half, so it passes, but a decent amount of Republicans vote for it. Uh, that's what bipartisan is, guys. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Um, but uh, so by the end of 1954, he has no power. They can't get him out of office though, because his term isn't up until 1960. So he just keeps on keeping on performing his senatorial duties and he keeps on railing against communists like in the press and in his statements. Um, by 1955, McCarthy is, a, so this is a quote from Eisenhower. I cannot take um, credit for this fun play on words, but basically by 1955, um, Eisenhower pro proclaims that McCarthyism has become McCarthyism. Oh, uh, there's that military there? <laughs> See what he did there? Um, yeah. And essentially McCarthy is shunned not only from the Senate, but also the press and social life and, and no one will give him the time of day. Um, he actually uh, dies at the age of 48 in 1957. So just three years after um, he's censured, he dies. Um, of supposedly, officially he dies of hepatitis, but lots of people say it was actually cirrhosis of the liver. Yep. <laughs> glug, 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 bitch. This, um, doing this research, by the way, I think has significantly made me cut back on the alcohol that I personally consume. So thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be Joe McCarthy. No, no you do not. No, you do not. No. Um, and that's kind of the end of uh, a one Joseph R. McCarthy. Um, one thing that I would just like to note in this, and it has um, very little to do with the scandal, but I just think it's something of note. I watched a lot of video for this, and there is no one on the planet that can tell me that Joseph McCarthy did not wear eyeliner. <laughs> no one can, no one can disprove that to me. I see him next to other senators. I know he had dark features, but there's just no one who can say that I just won't believe you. So that's he could be like a Nestor Carbonell. I don't know who that is, but yes. Uh, he's a performer who looks like he's wearing heavy eyeliner like Rudolph Valentino, but that's just his features. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Someone would need to verify that. I would need, I don't know, an aide, maybe his wife, but she would probably, which does not come up at all in this story because I just couldn't, I couldn't bear to bring her into this. Didn't he have like a much younger wife towards the end of his life? Am I making that up? I think it was the same wife the whole time. Yeah. She was, she was significantly younger than him from the start though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, remember the days when uh, really terrible evil politicians died at 48? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, those were the good old days. What happened?